And we are going to be taking a look at verses 8 through 17 without further comment. I want to draw your attention to those words now. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good and let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And I, I want to I end it right there, and I, I hope you gathered as we read this portion of the book of First Peter that the early church Christians to whom Peter writes were scattered throughout Asia Minor, which is more a part of what we call modern-day southern Turkey, that um, given the fact that they were living not only in Asia Minor, but Asia Minor was um, controlled by the Roman Empire, it was not easy for Christians to live their lives at this time. In fact, they faced, and I'll get to this in just a moment, but they faced a lot of opposition and false accusations. And it was not only, e it was not only difficult to live as a Christian, but it it, it provided what almost seemed insurmountable obstacles to provide a light and a witness to the culture. There was a lot of fear of what kind of response they would receive. And yet Peter tells them, nonetheless, this is what we're called to do. We're called to defend our faith. We're called to promote it. And really what I want to do is though we read verses 8 through, uh, what was it, 20, uh, or 8 through 17, excuse me, 8 through 17, uh, what I really want to do is, you know, sometimes in the preaching we follow all of the verses, but sometimes what I'd like to do is I want to attach, have, our, have us attach ourselves just to one verse. And that one verse is verse 15. And, and verse 15 is a very important verse, and there's a number of Christians who have memorized that verse. Thirty years ago, approximately, when I started to get serious about the Bible, I committed myself to memorizing certain passages, and this is one. And this is how verse 15 goes. In the translation of the Bible that I memorized a lot of scriptures, and that's called the New American Standard Version. And it goes like this. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and be able to give an account of the hope that is within you to anyone who asks, yet with gentleness and reverence. So what, what, what Peter, under the inspiration, is doing here is he's saying, in this in this dark world, an ever-increasing, despairing world, the world now more than ever is in need of the light of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to give uh, a witness of that. Well, 
Peter lays out three things here that I want to consider with you this morning. He says, if, you're, if your witness is going to be a winsome witness, it has to be uh, a competent witness, it has to be a caring witness, and it also has to be a confident witness. It has to be confident. You have to be confident in relating your faith to, to, to others. Okay, so let's deal with that first one um, um, for the time that we have because we have yet to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So let's get right into it. We're, we're called to, to have as Christians a confident witness to give to the, to the world. And why do I say that? The reason why I say that is because verse 15 comes in the context, as I noted just a moment ago, of Christians who were opposed by the culture in which they were living. And you see that in immediate context. Um, if you have your Bibles or your device, take a look at verse 13, or you can look at the screen. Now, who is there, verse 13, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And then he goes on to say, this is the very immediate context before verse 15. He, ha- he says, have no fear of them. And don't be troubled. Don't fear them, don't be troubled. Uh, that, that word means just, just don't, don't be anxious. And why would he say that? Why would we say, well, don't fear them, don't be anxious? What's the background of that? And as I just noted a moment ago, it's because the Christian of Peter's day, we're, we're, we're facing a, a number of uh, obstacles. And the, the culture is rather hostile, just as our culture is, uh, just the world you're living in and I am living in is becoming increasingly hostile. In some cases, it's indifferent. Other cases, it's just openly hostile. So what were the Christians facing? Well, the Christians during Peter's day were threatened, they were slandered, and uh, on many occasions they were falsely accused. And what's kind of interesting is that when you read historians about what Christians were facing, these kind of false accusations, you might even, it might seem somewhat laughable to you, but it, it gives you an insight into how many people don't understand what why we do what we do as Christians, why we live how we live as Christians, and even something as simple as what we're doing in the Lord's Supper here this morning. So the, 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 the culture of Peter's day falsely accused Christians of, for instance, uh, cannibalism. You say, well, why, why cannibalism? Kids, that means that they accuse the Christians of actually eating human flesh, and that sounds awful, but they were saying, well, you know what they do? They have this thing called the Lord's Supper, and in the Lord's Supper, the Christians talk about eating the body and drinking the blood of Jesus Christ, so they just assume, well, they're, they're, they're engaged in some form of cannibalism. Um, they, the Christians at that time were also accused of incest, Incestuous relationships, because you know those Christians, they, they refer to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. They were accused of atheism. You say, why were Christians accused of atheism? I mean, they believed in God, they believed in Jesus. Yes, but they, the Christians said, we do not believe that Caesar is God, that Caesar is deity or Lord. And Roman society would say, the great emperor Caesar, he is Lord. And the Christians would say, no, 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 Christ is Lord. Christ is master. And there were other things that the Christians were accused of at that time. Another thing is insubordinationism, that the Christians would not submit themselves to Roman cultural values. So all of these things um, created kind of an at-odds relationship between the culture and Christians. So the reason why I bring some of that background out is that this is why Peter is saying, in the world and in the culture in which you're living, I know it's going to be your natural tendency to be afraid to witness about Jesus Christ in that world, but do not fear them. 
Don't let your fear master you. Be mastered by Christ. How does he put it? He says, sanctify. That is, set apart Christ as Lord, as master of your life. And the more you, that you do that, the more that he becomes master, and the more that he becomes Lord of you, in every area of your life, you're going to find then that your fear of witnessing to others begins to diminish. There's an instructive verse from Isaiah chapter 8. Um, A.V., could you put that up there? Take a look at that if you would. Here we read this. Do not fear, or do, uh, yes, do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. We serve a sovereign God and we serve a holy God. And Peter is saying, listen, don't, in light of that, don't fear them, fear him. Don't honor them ultimately above your honor for him. And again, as Christ becomes truly Lord and operative in every area of your life, and as you submit ultimately to him, the more that that lordship increases in your life and is manifest in the way that you live your life, the more you find that your fear of witnessing to others, as I said, begins gradually to diminish. So let me ask you this, in light of that. Is Christ not only a personal Savior, but is He actually Lord? Is He actually Master increasingly of every area of your life? Have you given, and we're going to look at this this afternoon, have you given your ultimate allegiance to Him? The more you are steeped in allegiance, the, for, mere, the, the more fear begins to subside. So with that having been said, and then we're going to move on. Who do you have in the incubator right now? Who you're praying for and who you are pleading for before the Lord? And, and, and who do you know and who are you interacting with right now? Who is not yet submitted like you? I trust, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And who are you praying for, for the Lord to open that door and create an invitation for you to relate the beauty of the gospel to that person? Who are you asking the Lord to open that door for? And when he opens it, are you willing to take that next step without fear but with confidence? to relate the blessings of what you know in Christ. Think about that as we move on to the next point. Our witness before others is to be confident, but, you know, it also has to be competent. You have to be able to say something to those who are without Christ and, as the Bible says, without hope in the world. There was, a, there was a man um, that was a member of our church back in, in Phoenix. He came from uh, Venezuela. He, he grew up and uh, he was steeped in Catholicism, but he became a Christian. And he said to me one time, he said, Phil, you know what? I think every Christian should be able to convey the gospel within 30 seconds or less. Would you be able to do that? That might be a challenge, right, for, for a number. Think about that, within 30 seconds, because sometimes that's all the time that you have. Listen to Peter's words. He says, sanctify that is set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. That's where it begins. 
And once Christ is Lord of your hearts, then he says, be able to give an account, or as the ESV says, make a defense. The, the word in the original language is the word apologia, which sometimes if you go to a, a back table and a book table at a church, you find books on what we call apologetics that has to do with the defense and the promotion of the Christian faith. He says, be able to give an account of the hope that lies within you to anyone who asks. It's interesting that when you look, uh, and I'll be brief with this, but when you, let's forget the Old Testament for just a moment, and just take, with the time that we have, take a look at the New Testament. It's rather interesting that you find that Jesus oftentimes was doing precisely that, as well as the apostles who followed him. Can you put up the next, uh, uh, there you go. Take a look at that if you would. Some quick examples. Think about the apologetic that Jesus gave before the Pharisees. For instance, Mark chapter 12. Jesus defended the truth and dismantled the ideas of the Pharisees in that passage regarding the Sabbath. Or moving on, you think of Jesus' interaction also with an aristocratic group called the Sadducees. Jesus defended the truth and dismantled the ideas of the Sadducees regarding the resurrection because they didn't believe in the resurrection. When you move on to the apostles, you have Peter before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling body of the Jews. Peter testified before them. Think about the guts that that took, the boldness that that took to speak to many, many individuals who are very astute in their theology, who are a ruling body among the Jews, and he promoted and he defended the truth of Jesus and the resurrection. Apollos was a man mighty in the scriptures who witnessed to Christ before worshipers in the synagogue. That's the worshiping body among the Jews. That's like this. You could, let's say you were Jews and you were worshiping in a synagogue. And someone like me came up, namely Apollos, and I began to defend and promote Jesus in the resurrection. Think of the confidence that that took and the ability. Think of Paul before the philosophers, the Areopagus. He preached the gospel, not only in the marketplace to those who were there, but to these trained philosophers. Finally, you think of Paul before listeners at Tyrannus Hall, which is a lecture hall, and there he spoke to them about Jesus and the kingdom of God. I mean, these are just a few examples in the Bible. Time and time again, you see that Christianity is about truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. But Christianity is also about, and you can't really be a true church without this, about promoting Jesus, defending the gospel, and promoting the gospel. And again, this is exactly what you see with Jesus and the apostles. So, with that having been said, as we talk about uh, a competent witness and what Peter says about being able to give uh, an account of the hope that is within you, if, 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 you, if, you had to, if you had to do that, um, how competent would you feel in doing that? There are, there are a number of occasions where um, and, and you read about this in those who do a lot of full-time evangelistic work in preparing God's people for that task. Um, two things oftentimes come out in the lives of people where they say, number one, it is kind of a fearful thing because I don't always know the kind of reaction that I'm going to get. But, but another thing that they uh, bring out is they just say, I, I, I need some training in that. I, I think if there's one area of training that the church really needs, it's in the evangelistic task. Because people, 
People say, I, 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 I want to do it, but I don't always feel equipped for it. I would like to briefly mention one other thing that is a challenge for a number of churches, in, including Pathway. And that is this. Um, ask yourself the question, how many non-Christians do you not only know, but how many non-Christians have you invested in relationally? You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about um, in the workplace where you bump into non-Christians. You say, well, I know so-and-so, and I know so-and-so as a non-Christian. But how many non-Christian friends do you have? Or how many non-Christians you know that you invest regularly in terms of a relationship or a friendship? You go out for coffee, you go out for dinner, you interact on a, on a somewhat regular basis. I think that that is a particular challenge for a lot of churches, and I think it's a particular challenge for us, and it's a challenge for me too. Because you know what happens with pastors, and I find this all the time with fellow colleagues, that when you start interacting with them and you talk about what Paul says to Timothy about doing the work of an evangelist, and what you do is sometimes you have some sheepish responses among fellow pastors where it's like, yeah, you know, I just, some feel, some feel, um, and I've heard this, some feel just rather uncomfortable with that, even though Paul says, do that work of an evangelist. And some, quite honestly, you know what happens as a pastor, you, you work with people in the church and you pastor them and you pray for them and you interact with them. And before you know it, after a while, you don't have any relational investment with those who are outside of Christ. So it happens to pastors, it happens to all of us in terms of our lives. Well, the thing is, is that you and I, on a daily basis, are provided with a lot of challenges when it comes to this passage. The challenges are sometimes fear, sometimes not knowing what to say, sometimes not knowing how to answer objections, sometimes not having friendships, really ongoing relationships with non-Christians. But you know what? I want to encourage you. Listen, you, 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 you don't have to know everything. You don't have to answer, you know, every objection. Um, you know what you have to have? Love. You just have to have a, just a deep, overriding love for Christ, which then, as that love matures and deepens, you find that that love necessarily then spills over into the lives of others. Should I give you an example of that from the Bible? Can you put up the, the Mark chapter 10 passage? Look at the life of Jesus. There was a rich young man who ran up to Jesus and knelt before him, and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments? And he said to him, I've kept all the commandments since my youth. And it's very interesting. Jesus doesn't have contempt for this man. It's like, yeah, sure you have. Oh, yeah. You've kept all the commandments since your youth. Do you realize how much pride you have in your heart? He didn't treat the man like that. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then come, follow me. Isn't that interesting? Love drove him to this man. How much is the love of Christ living in you? How much is the love of Christ growing in you? 
And you find that that, that love of Christ is increasing this, this burden that you have for others. We're called to speak the truth. We're called to love on people. Because they're lost, my friends. They're lost. But, but also, don't discount this. I'll be brief with this. Don't discount also these things that can be very compelling witnesses to those who don't know Jesus. Beauty in an ugly world. Goodness in an immoral and callous world. And stories. Stories. I think in our circles, sometimes um, uh, conveying one's story of one's conversion is looked down upon. I think it's kind of unfortunate, and I'll tell you why. When you read the New Testament and you look at what the New Testament says about the life of Paul, and when you look at the witness that Paul gives, and you see a couple of occasions in the book of Acts, you see Paul not only speaking boldly the truth of Jesus Christ, but he shares the story of his conversion. He draws people in through the transforming power of the resurrected Christ in his life. It's very, very compelling. This is why we take time sometimes at Pathway in our professions of faith, for instance, not in every occasion, but many times professions of faith, we give people the opportunity. We don't force them. We say, would you mind sharing how your journey to faith that the Lord has led you on? And we've heard those, and they're very meaningful to us. It's a reminder that when we speak to others, a faithful witness is just not telling them about the Bible and about Jesus, but it's about sharing what Jesus has done in your life. It's, it's more than just saying, this is what Jesus has done on the cross. It's also, this is what Jesus has done for me, and this is how it has transformed my life. And if you repent and believe, it can transform your life as well. The story is very important, not to the exclusion of truth, but to accompany truth. So is goodness and beauty. If you put the next, uh, uh, this is a quote from uh, Rod Dreher from the Benedict Option. Very quickly, he says this, the first Christians gained converts not because their arguments were better than those of the pagans, but because people saw in them and their community something good and beautiful. Seeing examples of great beauty and extraordinary goodness bypasses our rational faculties and strikes the heart. We immediately respond to beauty and goodness and desire what they reveal. This is why I, I always encourage us that if you develop a relationship with someone outside of Christ and you bring by the grace of God truth in their life and it begins to warm the hearts of these individuals, not right away, but in time say, have you ever, have you ever considered going to church? I'd love to have you join us with some, sometime. Don't do that right away usually, but... But do that in times. Come. So that when they come to the doors and into this simple gym where we worship, they might see something, something different, something good, something beautiful, something truthful, and that they might feel the love of the body. And I want to encourage you. I have seen that after worship service. I've seen it before worship services. Where you're interacting with each other over coffee or you're interacting with new people, and I see people in the back, you know, meeting the newcomers. I want to encourage you in that. This, that's a wonderful thing. So, and it's a blessing. So it's, it's, a, it's a blessing. So keep that up. Okay, and then one final thing I want to bring out because we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and that is this. Not only are we to have um, a confident expression of our faith and a competent one, but also finally this, a caring one. 
a caring one. Listen, listen again to what Peter says. He says, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts and be able to give a defense and a promotion of your faith to anyone who asks of the hope that is within you. And then he adds this. With gentleness and with reverence. That means that you do it in such a way that you recognize the person before you is truly a person in need. And love spills over into that person's life so that when you convey the gospel, a winsome way of conveying it is by means of a gentle and respectful spirit. The old warhorse, the Apostle Paul, said this to a young pastor, Timothy, who is oftentimes timid. He said, the Lord's bondservant must be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the truth. Be gentle, my young pastor. Be, be gentle and be respectful. Speak the truth and do it with boldness and do it with confidence, but also do it with gentleness. As he says in the, in the book of Ephesians, he says that as Christians, we are to speak the truth in love. That's, that's a hard balance, isn't it? Speak the truth in love. One man who was once a skeptic wrote this about a Christian community that he experienced prior to his conversion. It was a, a, a group of oftentimes back in the 60s and 70s, ex-hippies and so on, people who are searching for truth and for love and for beauty. And this is what he wrote. If you put the next one on, please. His name is uh, Bill Edgar. The author of this book is Barry Hankin. But anyway, Labrie... This community of faith had a tremendous appeal and lasting influence on many young people in the 60s and the 70s. Most of them had never been exposed to an intellectual construction and defense of the Christian faith, and they found it exciting and liberating. However, many who came to Labrie were more taken by the community of love they experienced than by intellectual arguments. Now, the man who wrote this, actually, and recorded by this author, is a well-known apologist himself, a convert to the Christian faith who went through some very formal training and he just recently retired from Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia as professor of apologetics. And what does this professor of apologetics say? This, this man with a very large brain and a lot of mental intellectual capabilities. He said, you know, when I was converted to the faith initially, I was not converted solely through intellectual arguments, but I was, I was captivated. He's saying, I was captivated by the love of the community. By the love of the community. Think how that changed his life and think about how that can change many people's lives. So, when an apologetic is comprehensive in its claims, competent in its presentation, and caring in its approach, it's ultimately, in the end, you're going to find oftentimes quite compelling. And it's going to compel people to search their hearts and, and, and ask us, I can't quite put my finger on it, but you, you have something, and I want to know how you got it, and I want to know how I can get it, and I want to know if you and I can continue this relationship further so I may discover more and more the hope 
that lies within you. And may God give us that ability to to do precisely that, to proclaim the Christ to the world. My friends, this 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 is why we started Pathway. We started Pathway to build bridges to the world that is that is lost, and God is still leading us in that, and may he continue to lead us in that. And if you are here also here this morning, and you're not sure who Jesus is, and you're, you hear this word gospel, and you know there's a certain measure of hope that's connected with that, but you're not sure that connection and how that all works out. And if you have questions, then I would ask you to be patient, and listen further, and don't make any rash judgments to hear more about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you ask any of us, we fumble over our words. It doesn't mean because we don't know what we believe, but sometimes it's hard for us to convey the truth. And our desire is that in time you come to a point of repentance and an end to yourself that you may find life and transformation in Christ. And so that in the end, having come to Christ, And having belonged to a gospel-centered, Christ-centered church, you may experience this with us. Right now, this is not for you. It's not because we don't like you, but this table is for repentant believers in Jesus, those who want to seek to live a godly life. So that when we celebrate together, just watch. Watch what we do. Watch what we do. And, And seek to understand more of what the gospel is about over time. There's always more in here to be said, but enough is said for now. But what I really want to do before we celebrate together, let's pray together. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, you've given us the gospel. And, and Lord, you know, this, this, is not, this is not because when we look at ourselves, we just see inherent worth, like we really deserve this. Lord, it's by grace that you have Open many of our eyes here to the light of Christ, the blessings of forgiveness, and the transformation that can occur through His sovereign spirit and word. And Lord, we want to thank you for that. And Lord, we pray also that as a congregation, You may use the word and you may also strengthen our faith through the sacrament that we celebrate here this morning to give us boldness and confidence and competence and loving care in the way that, Lord, we bring faith and the gospel to bear upon people's lives. So, Lord, help us in that. We pray, and Lord, we pray too, open doors for us. Maybe we have a few people in the incubator. Lord, we pray for a clear open door that we may walk through in order to convey lovingly and truthfully the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, build pathway, we pray. Build us, Lord, through through the word and spirit. Build us not only spiritually, Lord, but continue to build us numerically. And God, we are bold now, we pray for one, two, maybe three adult baptisms, oh God, 
in, in the, the years to come, that we may rejoice together and see the gospel at work that is already at work in our lives here. So God, be gracious. Give us a heart for these things and to remember to pray for these things. Help us in that, God, we pray. And now, Lord, we pray that you'll bless the sacrament to our lives. And uh, Lord, uh, may it truly produce in us greater communion with Christ and also with each other, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.